Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. What's up, Fungal Associates? Welcome to Completely Arbitrary, the podcast about trees and other related topics. I am one of your hosts. My name is Alex Croson. I am across from good friend, good dendrologist, good podcast host, Casey Clapp. Hi, Alex. Hey, Casey. It's good to see you. It's good to see you. I know I've seen you multiple times already, but for the, for the listener, this is like a brand new opening. Yes, and why is that, Case? Well, I just got back from a fun little adventure. Uh-huh. That I was kind of gone for a couple months. I uh, did a little bit of traveling. Uh, went out and collected a bunch of cones, if you follow me on the uh, the old Instagram. That's right. I uh, did a travel through the U.S., the southern southern portion of it, just trying to keep as warm as possible. Ironically, we brought the cold with us everywhere we went. Yeah, that's unfortunate. You were sleeping so out of your truck. Yeah, yeah. And it was it was lovely. It was all by design. So it wasn't, uh, you know, we were prepared for these things. Sure. But my God, it still got so cold when you're like, yeah, I'm just going to go hike up here. And it's like, I need to go home. Wow. It's so cold. We went on uh, the Shenandoah River, uh, per the song. Um, uh, Country Roads. That's the one. Thank you. They uh, uh, We were on the, the South Fork, I think, of the Shenandoah River. And it was a lovely day, but it was so windy. We did a two-nighter thing. And then whenever we'd get out, we had to, like, go find someplace, make a fire, and, like, be really warm and just... We would we would freeze if we didn't. It like was obscene. Sit in the fire. Essentially, we sat in the fire. Yeah, because we were like shaking and so cold. And we're Jeez. like, this is not fun. We have how many more days of this? It's like dangerous. Almost. Yeah, it was almost dangerous, but not quite dangerous. Mm. Well, but, yes, Casey, you're back. I'm very happy to have you back. It's good um, to be here. Both as your friend and your podcast host yeah. partner. Hey, I'm happy to be back. We got a lot of things planned, don't we? Oh yeah, we do. You you got back and we had a. I don't know, an eight-hour meeting. Yeah, it was a long time. Yeah. <laughs> About all the stuff we want to get up to this year for Completely Arbitrary, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. and uh, this episode is one of them. Yeah. Uh, Casey, today we're talking about the white mulberry. I... I'm really excited about this, Alex. I am going to here's here's my here's how I'm gonna be a little stinker this episode. What? I'm gonna pronounce it mulberry. Oh my god. As the Brits might. All right. And I would I would appreciate if you pronounced it mulberry. Mulberry. Yeah, because yeah. that's what I I wasn't even if you had asked me to, I probably would have de- declined. Okay. And be like, no, I will go mulberry. Yeah. Because I I prefer the mulberry. Because that's how it's said in 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 our social circles. In every language I've ever spoken. <laughs> I don't know if there are some Brits listening. Shout out. Well, here's the thing. I, I don't think I'm being. I don't think I'm doing it correctly because, y- you know, you would say in England you would you would pronounce uh, it. You would say Canterbury. 
Yeah. As Canterbury, B-U-R-Y. Ah, yeah. The mulberry ah. is B-E-R-R-Y. So maybe they do say mulberry. Yeah. But I'm going to I'm gonna elect myself to say mulberry. Okay, yeah, I think that's good. I'm, I'm going to give you the, the, the benefit of the doubt here. I assume that you're just outright correct. I don't know if you should do that. I'm, I'm, it's already done. That's, Casey. Wow, that was back there already. Casey, as we do every episode, let's imagine that you and I are walking through, hmm, how about this? A Chinese uh, silkworm orchard. Okay, yeah, that works. Uh, and we come across some white mulberries. Mulberries. Uh, Casey, let's ID this tree. Alex, this is a tree that is is easy to identify once you know how to identify it. Okay. And mostly, I have two things that help me constantly. The first is the leaves of the mulberry tree, which we're going to start with. The leaves as a alternately arranged tree, uh, deciduous, so its leaves will come and they'll go. The leaves are similar to the sassafras in that they mm. they have a lobiness or a non lobiness to them. Right. So some will just be a perfectly like. Uh, heart-shaped leaf uh somewhat heart-shaped but it also this is the thing the the plant kind of grows leaves in in wildly different ways for no good reason this is interesting to me i don't know why i have a theory but i'm gonna wait until later all right so what happens is at one point it can have like a mitten where it just has one lobe like a like a mittened glove Uh um other times it has two lobes sometimes it's just a perfectly nice entire leaf where there's no lobes whatsoever Sometimes the base is flat. Sometimes the base kind of goes out and it has like, you know, a diamondish kind of mm. shape. Other times it has a base that is chordate. So it has like a heart lobes at the very bottom of it. And other times when it gets like really lobey, the lobes look almost like the, uh, the top of a, um, uh, I want to think like a, a parapet. Uh, oh. what am I thinking? Like in, um, the what's the the big thing in India the the, the, oh, like the Taj Mahal the Taj Mahal thank you Alex wow I'm sort of like a, a pointed dome it's like there it's a pointed dome but it almost looks like that onion shape where it like goes yeah. up and out and then has like this tall bit in the middle like an acuminate tip is what it is in leaf terms sure like the Russian the Russian architecture yes, perfect yeah. that's exactly it I also pictured as I was thinking of the Taj Mahal like Saint Petersburg Russia but I was like well that's not going to get us anywhere I should have just <laughs> said that well anyway that's what it looks okay and in when they get these intense lobes they're just very bulbously lobed and it looks really beautiful like i really i like the leaf because of that that's really cool i will say if i were another tree looking at the white mulberry Uh uh-huh this would drive me nuts yeah well would you be pissed it's inconsistency ah you want a tree that's it's perfect every time yeah I would be a tree that has the exact same leaf every time because I like order and yeah. structure. Oh my gosh. And a white mulberry challenges those beliefs by just growing whatever. So you'll be like the old military guy and like no. the then the young the young tree that's growing up who's just like Man, I'm gonna make my leaves however I want. You're yeah. like, you're a, you're a mess. Right. Get yourself cleaned up. Straighten your leaves out. I'm like the composer who only writes marches. <laughs> and then this young Philip Glass type comes along. Oh, my God. Alex, I would never have expected that from you. Yeah. Uh, Casey, let's talk bark. The bark is the the other thing I was telling you about that like I usually see, and I'm like, aha, this is a middleberry tree. Okay. For whatever reason, the, the bark is is very two-toned for me. Hmm. Um, you know how we all we often talk about bark um, as 
a, 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 a cylinder inside of another cylinder, right. so the bark always looks like it's kind of getting ripped apart from the outside. Yeah. Because it is. Now, for the mulberry, it has like a, 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 a muted brown. You know, like a weathered brown where it kind of starts to get gray tones? Like a, t- like a khaki? Yes, it, exactly, but still still very dark. Like, the, like you know, the, the color of this floor. This is, you know, wooden floor, right? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's yeah. helpful. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Everyone, uh, please come in, take a look at the floor. We want to get this. We're going to have Instagram photos of just uh, the Taj Mahal and your floor <laughs> for this episode. No, we are not. <laughs> So it, whatever it looks like, it's kind of this this aged, weathered brown. Yeah. But then in the middle, it has like this orange, like little pop that comes out. Yeah. Um, in between where where the furrows or like little ridges start to develop. Mm-hmm. That to me, whenever I'm looking at the tree, I'm like, what exactly is this tree? And then I look at the bark, and it has that like orange tint in the middle. Right. I'm like, boom, that has got to be a mulberry tree. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So that's what helps me do it. That's its inner its inner self is that orange. Yeah, I think so. It's, that's its outer that's self is that weathered brown. Exactly. That's the young that that's the young leaf mm-hmm. and the old leaf. Oh, sure. Out there in terms of old hat and young hat. Yeah. Yeah. Man, you're so old leaf. This <laughs> can't believe you. <laughs> I start using that more often. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how it would play with most people, but in our <laughs> in our universe here, it's great. People are gonna be like, "I get it. That's totally true." Yeah. Well, the other thing I should know about the leaves, and this will come up in a second when we talk about other mulberries, mm-hmm. is that the white mulberry notably will have um, smooth, glossy leaves. Okay. Yeah. Cool. As opposed to like a uh, uh, what's what's a tree with a rough leaf? The red mulberry. Oh my gosh! Yeah, tell me go. more. That's how you, that's how you tell the difference. They're okay. really notoriously difficult to tell, um, but that is the one big clue that you can wow. always always go to to remember is that the red is rough, the white is nice and smooth and lustrous. Fantastic! And, and Casey, of course, it's in the name. This thing grows a mulberry. Yeah, it does. A mulberry, excuse me. It grows a delicious mulberry. Every time you say mulberry, I'm going to follow it up with mulberry. Okay. And then hope that that then reminds you, oh, I should have said mulberry. Right. And then the next time you say mulberry, I'll I'll say mulberry. (laughs) I was really hoping to get that down. (laughs) This is how we restore balance. It is. That's true. Yeah. So you're right. It does. It's, uh, it makes these adorable little berries. Yeah. Funny enough, they're not true berries. Similar how a raspberry is not an actual berry. Well, this is news. Yeah. Let's remind ourselves, a tomato is a berry. Right. So that is the technical thing where it has just one big fruit with all the seeds inside of it. And yeah. it's usually very fleshy all the way through. A mulberry is actually an aggregate of all those other little berries. So it's more like one little tiny fruit with one seed aggregated next to 50 of its best pals. Okay. It, uh, the, the flowers are little catkins. So when those little catkins come out, they are long shoots with a bunch of little flowers all on the side, kind of like a bristle brush or something uh-huh. like that, or a bottle brush. Um, then when those flowers each individually are pollinated, then they each individually become one little tiny fruit. That one little tiny fruit is directly next to another little tiny fruit, next to another one, next to another one, next to another one, along the whole thing, so that when they get big and juicy, they bump right up next to each other, and now it looks like you have one big raspberry-ish looking fruit. Wow. But it is, in fact, many different ones. This is 
crazy. You've, yeah, have you? I mean, you've experienced this a billion times. It makes sense. You've eaten these fruits, not necessarily the mulberry. No, but I've eaten my fair share of berries. Yeah, exactly. Or what I yeah. usually call berries. Exactly. Which, I'm going to now call them congregates of fruits. Yeah, you better. Hey, can I go get some rasp? Congregates of fruit, <laughs> aggregates of fruit, rather. Oh, you said aggregate. Yeah, okay. and aggregate fruit. Yeah, I'm gonna call it a congregation of fruit. Yeah, please do. Like I a think murder of crows. It's a murder. Can I get a murder, a rasp murder, please? <laughs> That'd be really great. The uh, you know um, one of the nowhere. trees we recently talked about mm-hmm. uh, the uh, Osage orange. Yes, yeah. yeah. So that oh. But it's also in the same family, and they have that same big aggregate kind of fruit. Yes. It just doesn't get quite as uh, delicious as this. Interesting. Yeah, they went for different animals, those, uh, <laughs> for better or worse. Poor thing. Oh, yeah. Sorry, Orange. Yeah. Uh, this is a fascinating revelation, Casey. Maybe we've talked about it before, but I'm, I'm just sort of relearning it. Uh-huh. Um, that's that's very cool. It's a weird thing, and it's, it's one of those kind of botanical... Uh, literalness things that people sometimes really hate yeah like just call it a berry of course know? yeah you gotta yeah so botanically speaking that's what separates it from you know anything else sure but that's what you'll look for for anything in the moraceae the mulberry family oh so that they have that same thing we forgot completely or maybe maybe you said it earlier this thing's called the morris alba oh gosh i don't think i did yeah we just jumped straight to it because we're so excited yeah wow look the, at us. the latin scientific name for the white mulberry morris yes. alba morris alba and the family is named after it the moraceae set it settle a score casey all right any relation to jessica oh i I don't think so. I looked into this. I didn't see anything on the on the internet. So right. I think I think they honestly I think it's one of those stage names where she was just mm. like, Man, this is such a beautiful tree. I'm gonna name myself after it. Good for her. Probably. Um, thanks for playing along. Hey, <laughs> Casey. Yeah. It's time Whoa. for some homegrown trivia. Oh my god. Let's, Alex. Let's let's uh let's do some fast fun facts about the yeah. white mulberry. Let's here. get there. Let's see what we got. Let's talk wood, Case. Mm. The wood of the white mulberry. Here's something interesting. Not uh, harvested a lot for wood. Yeah, it really Because they're isn't. so small. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This is what I've read. Yeah, they only get maybe about 40 or 50 feet tall. Generally, they're also very short-lived, so you don't get like the time for them to get really gigantic. I see. Yeah. Okay, and it's, it's obviously expensive because... There, there aren't a lot that are used for wood. That's true. Yeah, there's not a lot, but there are a lot of them, Alex. A little teaser there. A little teaser. Uh, the wood's flexible. It's very durable. Mm-hmm. This makes it great for sports equipment. Yep. yep. We're talking tennis rackets. Uh, because you want that flexibility. Yeah, and without it breaking. Like, yeah. if it's too rigid, you're just going to bash straight and it's going to smash or something like exactly. that. Exactly. Yeah. That high-velocity tennis mm-hmm. ball coming at you. Yeah, right. Uh, same with hockey sticks. A lot of hockey sticks are ma- made with mulberry wood. Yeah, see, I just had no idea about that until we, uh, we started doing this, and I just love that. Yeah. I wonder if there are any people who uh, still use wooden hockey sticks, like at the pro level, or do they usually, like, are they carbon fiber or something like yeah, that? Yeah, probably, because they're lighter. Yeah, yeah I, I would, fiberglass. I bet you field hockey uses ah, wooden sticks. Yeah, that's probably true. A little more cool. Casey, let's talk medicine. Oh, so Alex, what have you learned about this? So I've learned a few things. Okay, give me one. Uh, the white mulberry, mulberry, I I, have, I can't keep it up, Casey. <laughs> I have to, no. If I have to remind myself every time, it's obviously not something I want to do naturally. No, we already stuck to it, so <sighs> yeah. I'll do my go, best. Can't go back now, Alex. Um, <laughs> uh, 
Uh, in traditional Chinese medicine, the white mulberry is used for something I thought was was very specific and cool, and uh-huh. that's for uh, management of type 2 diabetes. Yes, which is so curious. I, yeah. I have thoughts about this. Okay, so uh, as far as I know, uh-huh. and we, we've, we talked about this right before we recorded and sort of uh, collaborating on our research, Yeah, the leaves are mm-hmm. used for a tea, and that is, yep. uh, that is the main sort of uh, way to ingest this yes, medicine. That's my understanding. I believe in Korea it's quite popular. Yes, yes. What that chemical in the leaf does is it slows down a uh, sugar breakdown in your gut. So the sugars are absorbed at a more stable, consistent rate mm-hmm. and manages your blood sugar level. Yeah. So a lot of times I believe that has to do with uh, just the fiber in the in the plant. It's, oh. I'm not sure if it's 100% across the grain or across the board. Wow. Uh, yeah, sorry. Yeah. Uh, calling Dr. Freud... <laughs> Don't answer. Um, <laughs> Guy's a creep. This is actually a big thing with uh, eating whole foods, Alex, where a lot of people would say, well, a strawberry or this other thing, an orange, it's it, just filled with sugar anyway, so you shouldn't eat that because it's filled with all these sugars. And if you're trying to get sugars out of your diet, don't do that. Well, then everyone who has been researching this or has you know read Michael Pollan's book, book I guess, would say, actually, when you eat a... Uh, an orange slice. Mm-hmm. You're also ingesting all the fiber and all the non-digestible stuff that comes with that orange slice. Yeah. So then, at the end of it, because your body is constantly breaking other stuff down, it just keeps your your digestive system working, so it doesn't just go. Whoosh, everything's absorbed immediately because they have to work to get it away from all the other different compounds, then absorb it. It makes sense. So we nature intended to to yeah, eat these things. Exactly. I think that uh, the way Michael Pollan put it in one of his books was that the for whatever reason the the sum is greater than the parts yeah. when you are eating food. So if you just broke it all down and gave you each one individually, you would be way more unhealthy than if you just gave it to you all in one prepackaged berry-like aggregate fruit. You know, nature is the great, the greatest grocer. Yeah, <laughs> well said, Alex. <laughs> um, Casey, uh, my favorite, uh, my favorite discovery from the white mulberry uh, homegrown trivia. Uh huh. A group of researchers in 2006 published a paper called "Sexual Plant Reproduction." Oh, there is a section of this paper called "High Speed Pollen Release in the White Mulberry Tree mm. Morris Alba." They used high-speed cameras to capture the pollen release of a male white mulberry <laughs> flower? Yeah, it's a flower, yeah. Casey, should we read this chunk of text here? Yeah, you should because it's, it's worth it. Okay. And then we're, I'm prob- we'll probably need you to do a quick translation after we read it. Ooh, we're going to see if I can. Um, here's, here, this is from the paper. We investigated floral anthesis in a male mulberry tree with high-speed video and a force probe. The stamen was inflexed within the floral bud. Hubba hubba. (laughs) Exposure to dry air initially resulted in a gradual movement of the stamen. This caused fine threads to tear at the stomium, ensuring dehiscence of the anther, and subsequently enabled the anther to slip off a restraining pistol load. The sudden release of stored elastic energy in the spring-like filament drove the stamen to straighten in less than 25... What is this unit of measurement? Uh, That's a microsecond. 25 microseconds. And reflex 
the pedals to velocities in excess of half the speed of sound. That is ridiculous. This is the fastest motion yet observed in biology and approaches the theoretical physical limits for movements in plants. Isn't that crazy? Just bonkers. I had no idea. And like, you know, the mantis shrimp is like famous for moving its claws so fast that there's like a tiny little fission that happens and like boils water and then like stuns plants. I did not know this. Yeah, that's another one of these kinds of things, like just random plants or animals that do some weird thing. Yeah. Then move at such an amazing speed. It's 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 kind of like a superpower. Yeah, it is. But I wonder like if you put your hand over this, like would the pollen hit so much you'd be like, oh Ow. And you, you feel like the plant like kind of like zapped you a little bit? Yeah. I wonder. I yeah, but this a little is micro abrasion on your skin. It shoots it out that fast. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it I just I I'm I wonder why. Like Yeah. There's not a whole lot of other plants that like take this method. They're like most are like, meh, here go puh, 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 and just like dust on the wind and then it goes. Right. The mulberry tree's like, no, I'm gonna use my flexibility of wood to <laughs> bat this thing out as far as I can. Like, God. Do you think that the mulberry like had that intention? Like, I don't know. This hear, hear me out. I will. Do you think that in the uh, in the world of plants and animals, mm-hmm. uh, that if we can give if we can give them a little agency, do you think like like the the plants and animals be like, you know what? I'm just gonna work on this and that's it forever. Sure. And I'm gonna I'm gonna get I'm going to do this so that when all the other animals and plants are just like, yeah, I'm just kind of, you know, middle of the road, this one plant has been like, nah, I'm above it. I yeah. Can do, I can do this faster than anybody. It's a bit of a flex. Yeah, I think it might be. That's the term. Yeah. Yeah. Casey, of course, the most common use, the most famous use mm-hmm. for the mulberry is not its wood. Nope. It's not its uh, hyper speed ejaculation. Yep. It's not... <laughs> It's uh, diabetes medication. Yeah. It is. It is, in fact, Alex, the relationship that the mulberry has fostered, I'll say, over millions of years with a very specific species of moth. Mm. And that relationship has catapulted the mulberry tree, specifically the white mulberry tree, but also another one just for a moment into the stratosphere of popularity across the entire world. But in a way that's kind of like when you look at the biggest companies in the world, they're like completely unknown and you've never seen it, but they produce like the most <laughs> needed thing in the yeah. world. And you're like, wow, I have I never even knew that was a company, but they're huge. Yeah, That's kind of like this. No one really knows or thinks about the, the white mulberry as much as they should based on the fact that this relationship has has made it almost a ubiquitous tree in the entire world. Fascinating case. It's going to be interesting. Let's find out more after the break. We'll be right back with more Completely Arbitrary. Oh, I see what you did there. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are 
and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Welcome back to Completely Arbitrary. Today we're talking the white mulberry. Casey. Alex. I hear tell mm-hmm. that you have a bit of a yarn to spin for us. Ah. Or should I say... A bit of a silk. A silken thread. Yes. Alex, have you ever seen the television program, the BBC Extraordinaire, by the BBC Extraordinaire, of course, David Attenborough. Sir, David Attenborough. What is the question? Uh, Let me rephrase. (laughs) (laughs) Have you seen the the show uh, by Sir David Attenborough on the BBC called Life in the Undergrowth? Oh, no, I haven't. Well, I'm not surprised. I don't think you'd really be into it. It's a lot. uh, No offense to you. Um, You're not Mm. necessarily one who wants to watch, you know, insects and and arthropods and things like that. This is true. Super high def, like we're inside of their hovels. Yeah, I'm not interested. Although I will say very quickly, yes, I recently found a Flickr account that has like really good macro photography of biological things. Wow, including some bugs. Yeah, and I started looking. I'm sorry, insects, and I started looking at some close-ups of like um, this particular type of fly, mm. and it's like eyeball. Okay, yeah, and it was like the most fascinating. I just looked at it for like an hour. It was so fascinating. They're insane. The compound eyes of insects are yes. beyond understanding. Yeah, really, really wild. It looks like a yeah. it looks like a textured uh, rubber almost. Yeah, okay, that's such a good. That's, that's I believe I've seen these kinds of photographs, and they're stunningly mind blowing. Yeah, pretty cool. Well, please this, continue. This does this show doesn't get quite that intense. Okay, good. Uh, but it's a five part series. We'll have a link to it, and uh, specifically the one that is called the silk spinners. Uh-huh. Did you know, Alex, that arthropods are the only thing that make silk? Please define arthropod. An arthropod is a species of plant in a very large family. In fact, I think it is just one big big uh, order of, of animals. Mm-hmm. And they have segmented bodies. That's okay. the big thing. So lobsters and crabs... All insects, spiders, oh, all insects. Mites. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. They're all under that this this arthropod. Okay. And what they do is they they have segmented bodies and they have legs that are attached to some of those segments and many of them fly. Okay. Many of them within this same realm make silk. And silk is this really weird thing that most people always think about in relation to spiders. Yes. Where you know spiders make silk. That's like the thing, right? Well, it turns out there are some crickets that make silk. There's some fleas hmm. that make silk. There's a whole plant or a whole uh, group of insects, I think they're insects, um, called silk spinners or web spinners. I'm assuming there are, it's a, it's a gradient and there are insects that do it way better than others. Oh, yeah. Some, or more some, yeah. Volu- higher volume. Well, they, ju- they do it in different ways, really. Okay. So uh, the lacewing, for instance. Um, uh, will lay an egg and then pull out a little tiny bit of silk and then lay the egg at the top of this like silk thing where it looks like a hair popping up uh-huh. and it kind of goes bloop, lay like touches down gets a little silk on the uh, the stem of this plant lifts its abdomen up and then releases the egg at the top holds it for just a half a second and then lets it go and in that time the silk hardens and keeps the egg up 
essentially on a big tall shaft wow. of silk. And it does this down the whole thing. If you look closely in the springtime, you can find this like on any given plant where this insect has been. Okay. And they will um, leave it there, and then that it protects it from from ants or some other predator that's walking by looking for eggs. It would be like, well, there's no eggs here, and you just walk right by, and the eggs are just suspended above their head. Ooh, spooky. So there's that application. There's applications of spiders using it, and what they would do, of course, is make a web. Sure. That then it has sticky glue put on it, so then they would make their home and their catch, uh, their their catch and release program. Yes. Facilitation. Heavy on the catch, light on the release. So there is one other group of insects that makes silk in a way that is kind of different than all the rest of these. Okay. And these are the Lepidoptera, otherwise known... Eh? Silkworm. Yes. <laughs> God, that was... Good job. You circumvented me really well there. Well, you did point at me. I, I did. thought you were asking me to, no, to I, say it. Oh, I oh, was specifically. Okay. But the silkworm was not the correct answer, but is also the correct answer. Is leading to a correct answer? No, yeah. You just... You, you short-circuited it. I jumped the line. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Which is very well done. That was a, that was a good, tricky answer. Well, what was the name of the group you, you said? Lepidoptera. Lepidoptera. Yes, that is an order of insects. Okay. Otherwise, uh, commonly known as moths and butterflies. I see. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the silkworm that you are, like, this is why I said you're right, because that's just a the larval stage of the silk moth. Okay, this is news to me. There you go. So this is the big thing with silk. This is the evolutionary um, agreement that the white mulberry made with an insect many many years ago are you familiar with how these um how how a a larval moth creates silk no would you like to watch a video sure wow alex did you know that that's how it happens no you know what it reminded me of what like a good old-fashioned Amish barn raising. <laughs> but with just one Amish farmer? Yeah. He did the whole thing himself, God yeah, bless him. it was beautiful. Um, yeah, that's incredible. So what I what we saw, and we'll post this on the Instagram so you can see it too, is a uh, a silk caterpillar. Ah, thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, spinning a, a sort of a cocoon web of silk but also kind of using this leaf. Is it a mulberry leaf? Yeah, that's a mulberry leaf. Okay. Using this leaf as like, I guess it's it's eating the leaf as it goes. Uh, it looked like it took some bites, but yeah. yeah. But it also, it's using it as sort of like a, uh, it almost looks like it put up a big like windshield on yeah. the side of its cocoon. Honestly, I don't, I, I don't think that that had a whole lot to do with it. I think it just was laying there. Okay. And it was using the hard side walls. Uh-huh. But what they do is they, they make one, um, they, they would like, take their silk and they make it out of a gland in their mouth and they Mm. attach it to one point then they pull it over and they attach it somewhere else and they go back over but then they go over that a hundred times then they go over to another spot and they do it again but in the uh, the perpendicular direction yeah and then they keep pulling it tighter and tighter and tighter and they do this on all these kind of seemingly random planes, so you get this random covering that is pulling in all these different directions. So I, I think the leaf just started lifting up because there was tension being pulled in sure. other places. Okay. Um, but most of the time, there's another video you can find a lot of these. Um, in another one, they just did it on the side of this like um, rectangular cage. They just kind of went up to the corners and just went and just completely encased themselves. So silk. 
if you have ever had any silk garment of any kind, mm. that is the cocoon casing of a silkworm that is, in fact, the caterpillar of the silk moth, which is Bombyx mori, and that is what that caterpillar would normally be using to protect itself while it goes through complete metamorphosis, which is in and of itself a topic that's the most fascinating, ridiculous thing in the history of evolution. Which we will, be, we will not be talking about we today. We will not be talking about that today. Um, Insects and other related topics. Yeah, so so a uh, piece of silk yeah. is made of, not saliva, but a, this, this sticky gland substance. Yes. A sort of mucus, if you will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of this caterpillar. Exactly. All right, well... Yeah, I don't. My mouth is salivating. You know when you have like hot mouth. I'm like, oh my god, there's 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 silk coming from your mouth. Oh my god, don't! It's like the fly, Casey. <laughs> Ow, this is disgusting. Talk about a metamorphosis. <laughs> it is. It's something that like you you don't you kind of take for granted, you know. Um, yeah, and, and here's here's a, a thing to to consider that a silk um, a silk moth will make or one, one silk caterpillar will make upwards of a mile or just below a mile of silk. That's incredible. In that entire little process, which takes them, you know, maybe a, a day or two to just keep building this thing. That's wild. Then they, inside, um, I think there's many times they have a, like a mineralization that goes on the top of it hmm. so that the, the silk kind of becomes this waterproof tight ball. And then... They'll sit there for a couple of weeks, and then they will not chew their way out, um, but a little enzyme comes out, and it dissolves one of the, the ends of these little cocoons, and then the fully grown moth, which is metamorphosed, metamorphosed, yeah, into a, a full-grown adult winged moth. That's incredible. And this is the funny thing. They have, these adults, zero mouth parts and zero digestive systems. They are sex machines. They don't eat? They don't eat. They don't sleep. They have sex and they die. Oh. That is their, that is their adult stage. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, isn't that wild? Those maniacs. Yeah. It takes about 2,000 to 3,000 cocoons to make one pound of silk. Oh, my God. How many pounds of pure silk are made worldwide every year i'm uh guess? tons and tons and tons 70 million pounds <laughs> so i was right <laughs> that equates to about 10 billion cocoons what the hell all the things everything that you've ever seen silk sheets silk blouses Ooh. silk ties silk everything what about a robe no, not silk robes. Well, shit. I'm just kidding. Silk robes, Alex. That's, yeah, 10 billion? They're all made with the excretion from a small caterpillar who's going to turn into a small sex craving moth. See, now, Casey, this actually, I feel a little bit better about this situation. Oh, wow, okay. Because I hear that, you know, we get this thing from animals. I immediately yeah. think, oh, they're killed. They're harvested and, and you know, killed mm -hmm. for this stuff. Yep. But we are merely, what, taking the silk after they leave? Is it that altruistic? No. <laughs> of course Sorry. it isn't. You know how they dissolve that hole in it? Yeah. So normally, the each strand of silk, it's one long strand. 
So they can make it into this big, huge thing. Oh. They boil it in oh, water that no. loosens the silk, and then you can essentially unravel it okay. and then straighten it out, and you get one big, 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 long strand. But they can't do that if the if the moth has escaped through their little exactly, escape tunnel. Exactly, because it cuts a hole in it, so you no longer have a really long thing. So they can still do it, but it's a, of lesser quality, and it's not quite as nice because you have to weave a bunch more little bits and fragments together. Sure. So most of the time, all... All of the caterpillars are, well, they're killed. They're boiled to death. Oh, alive? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, sorry. In ten, the middle of their metamorphosis. Ten billion a year. Yeah. Cut so, down in their prime. Uh-huh. Yep, there it is. That's so sad. Well, let's move on to a happier story then. Okay. Or a happier part of our story. All right. So when we first like uh, brought this up, essentially what I was trying to argue is that this tree has become ubiquitous around the world. Yeah. Many thousands of years ago in China, they initially found and, and started the process of collecting silk and turning it into these fabulous, you know, gowns and things for whoever was the top of the totem pole in terms of hierarchy in the class system of of, uh, of China. And so they started doing this and like legend has it like it was this princess and then she all of a sudden found out this and invented the loom. It's definitely not like that. Who knows what it was? My question is who was sitting there found this like tufty you know ball of something hanging off of this tree yeah and just started like plucking it or pulling it around like i don't know i don't know <laughs> this would make a nice shirt yeah this would i could we could probably turn this into a fabric wow the the amount that they have to do to make even one strand much less enough to make a full shirt is off the charts like i don't even know how they they even started this process Fast- it's, it's got to be sorry it's got to be one of those things that's like you know the first person like you think about cheese. Yeah. Right? Oh, I see. Like, okay. who was the first person to, like, boil milk with other <laughs> stuff and be yeah. like, this chunky shit that we got out of this process. Yeah, left you know, to ferment for a couple yeah, months. Yeah, so it's, it's probably, and but the reality is that there were probably, a, you know, uh, several hundred steps in between yeah. milking a cow, mm. and eventually we have, I can walk across the street and get some Parmesan cheese. Yeah, I think you're probably right. Um, I'm sure the same is true for silk production. And if you have, you know, 10,000 years to do it, because I think they found, like, remnants of silk, like, in 8,000-year-old things. Wow. So. It's a long time, so that's I guess incredible. that's your 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 point is well taken. Thank you. Given enough time, even that one little thing can be amped up to this level. Yes. Well, with the help of a mulberry tree, apparently we can do anything. Say more. Turns out. I mean, tell me more. That uh, as the uh, as this happened, um, the folks in China were like, "This is some high class stuff mm. only for royalty." <laughs> Then all of a sudden, you get a little extra. So the royalty says, I'm going to give this to you as a gift. I'm going to give it to you uh, over here. You can buy it because you're the world's richest you know, merchant or something like yeah. that. So then they kind of kept it as this super intense secret. And then they started like trading it around. Well, before the Romans, they were trading it, you know, with different people. And it became such a like desirable thing for all the rich people in, say, the West, like the Romans and things like this, where everyone's like, we really want to get our hands on however they make this silk stuff. This Mm -hmm. is really nice. So million or not millions thousands of years go by as they are holding this essential monopoly and then as legend has it which i believe is is more fact than legend these two nestorian monks went to china they hid some uh some eggs of the silk moth in their little staffs 
and some seeds for their mulberry tree. Uh-huh. They took it all the way back across what was then known as the Silk Road, because that's where they transferred and did all their trading for silk, brought it over to um, Justinian in, in uh, Constantinople. So, which is now Istanbul. You know Istanbul is now Constantinople. I'm familiar. Okay, just want to make sure. With the concept. It's an idea here. So then um, in there in the Byzantine Empire, they all of a sudden realized, boom, we can plant these trees here. Now we have learned the magic of silk and then, ah... Wow. Monopoly ruined for the Chinese. It, it is also... It also... I, I, I will note that it's the importance and... Um, Regality of silk uh-huh. is reflected in the fact that this trade route was called the Silk Road. Oh yeah, it would. Yeah, it's like it, whatever the biggest, highest quality thing was, right? Yeah. That's it. You're totally right. So that is that is like how how this kind of initial trade started happening. Now keep in mind that we're talking about silk, and by then extension, we're talking about these funny little moths, which by the way are domesticated. They mm. can't live. Or have any amount of um, sex, which is again the only thing they ever crave, um, without human help. They've wow. also they've been bred to make very specific, uh, like high quality thread or silk specifically before it becomes thread. They have turned hundred percent white. Their their ancestors, which is the wild one, is called Bombyx mandrina, hmm. and it's like really beautifully colored. Like it has <sighs> it has like mottled colors on it, so it can be camouflaged. And so you know how like domesticated turkeys are all white. Yeah, same exact kind of thing. Like they they bred for certain qualities, and because they did that. All pigmentation was lost. They're very docile creatures. They don't cr- try and run. Like they're not afraid of humans. It's a wild amount of like like taking an insect and domesticating it. This is the first time I think I've ever actually like thought about that. It's like they're I have uh, they're in the Matrix. Oh yeah. Oh these and these we are guys? Oh, we yeah. are the aliens. <laughs> the the up, we are the uh, the alien uprising. Yeah. What yeah. The, it's, it's machines. They're right? machines. Yeah. The Matrix. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's, it's, you're exactly right. It's the it's the Mothrix. It's Casey. the Mothrix, Alex. That's what's happening right now. Wow. It's the Bombix Mothrix. And it's truly tragic. I don't. I don't. I and I. I don't know why I'm feeling like I don't really care about insects. Ah, but you're I'll you're say that here this. first. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Hold on. That's a hot take. Everyone. Still ten billion little lives. Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. it's just so weird and sad. Well, and so here's here's what makes me think about it with the uh, with the tree is that we're feeling weird and sad because there's this moth species that gets cut short in its metamorphosis and its its case is used up. Meanwhile. We're growing these trees all over the world. This same tree, because this is the tree that they like the most. There was one other tree that they um, that was like for a second became really popular. Yeah, in the United States specifically, they're like, oh, this tree. They actually called it um, a boom. It was actually really kind of funny. Uh, it's Morris multicollis, and they call it a craze. The same as like the tulip craze in Holland. Oh, sure. Yeah, where people were buying like single trees that normally would be up to five dollars per one hundred trees. Uh-huh. They were buying one tree for one hundred dollars. Whoa! It was crazy. And then all of a sudden, you know, the same kind of crash happened where people like were making millions off their beanie baby. And then all of a sudden, everyone's like, "No one cares about your beanie babies." It's the same thing. So, how did they figure out that the uh, moths 
excuse me, the caterpillars like the white mulberry best. My assumption is that they just found it like that's where they that's where they found them growing. You oh, know? interesting. Yeah, so okay. they were just whoever that first person was who just like said, "Oh, well, what's this funny little fuzzy thing on this yeah. leaf?" They just said, "Yeah, cool. Those are they're growing on this tree. Whenever you want to find these little fuzzy things." Go to these trees. I see. Okay. So then they started Makes planting sense. these trees and coppicing them. We've talked about coppicing before. Yeah. May I? Yes, please. You chop off the top of a limb and the tree panics and sends out a bunch of shoots. That's it. And you chop those off and use them for various things. Exactly. So they would give it to animals because just like being good for humans, it's really good animal fodder. But they would also get heaps and heaps of these leaves and now on an industrial level we are growing mulberry trees across the world to feed these hordes and hordes of little teeny tiny caterpillars that then feed our insatiable desire for gorgeous beautiful silk isn't it fascinating casey the lengths humans go to for commodity oh my god yeah it's just a piece of fabric yeah yeah it's just it's amazing and everyone like will bring up like all these other things about the trees where they're like oh but the, the berries but you know what half the berries are are not even tasty like people just don't think they're good yeah they're sweet but bland is, my, right. is what i'm told right so the this poor tree is like being in my opinion ripped apart and just trodden all over the entire world um only because it's like the food that this other thing eats. Yeah. Good for the tree, bad for the tree. We don't really know. However, the tree's invasive in the eastern United States. Like, people don't like it. it really? It's all over the place. I think it's also invasive in Brazil. Okay. So, people are like, oh, this tree, you know, maybe, maybe not that good. Don't really like this tree very much. Wow. And so, I, I'm, I'm so torn on this because, like you said earlier, there is this uh, symbiosis, right? But it's only one-sided. The tree is just being used for this other thing. We can't really eat it. It's not really something good for humans. Otherwise, it's kind of invasive. I don't know where I stand on it right now. Yeah, I mean, it's be, at least it's. I, I don't know. I, I don't. The whole thing makes me feel very. You ever you ever just feel like third person looking at humans, and you're like, "What the fuck yeah. are we doing?" What? Yeah, it seems like a little bit of a crazy thing, doesn't it? Yeah, I do that with gold often. Where I think hmm. of like why why do we give so much like uh, credence to it? It's right. just it's a rock. It is just a rock. It's a shiny rock. Yeah. But for whatever reason, entire economies are based off of it. Yeah. Which is stunning to me. It's very Maybe strange. Not, is that still the case? I don't think we're on the gold standard anymore. No, we? but you can. I mean, uh, for long enough we yeah. were. I mean, you can um, still buy and sell it for something. I mean, it was. It's the. It's. It's just a rock. Yeah. Right? It's just a rock, and this is just a, a silky secretion from... I can't say that one fast uh, I was going to ask for more alliteration. A, a silky secretion from a sanguine species <laughs> of... Lepidoptera. <laughs> Damn it. Damn it. So close. <laughs> I was trying to think of the best thing for an S. Couldn't get it. I can't either. Anyway, so this tree... I think which is which is kind of a nice thing to like wrap it up to give give us some 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 ideas on either side. Okay. Right? So this is before we go to our review, which as you all know is coming certainly. <laughs> you have a tree that is is more or less just fodder. It's just food. Yeah. No one plants this tree because they say, you know what would be nice here? A nice mulberry tree. Right. Mm. No one does that. Everyone is planting it because it's just a useful tree to be eaten by a bunch of caterpillars to make silk. It doesn't taste very good. However, from the tree's perspective, somehow it made the right like deal with the right species that then 
got in the right hands, which are human hands, to be spread across the entire world. So if you are a white mulberry, Alex Croson, would you be stoked or would you be pissed? I think I'd be pissed, Casey. You'd be pissed. You know why? Even though your your population has like exploded. Yeah, I You've don't, been brought everywhere. I don't think it would matter. Oh. This is the thing. Okay. I, it's like a monkey's paw situation. Right. The tree, the white mulberry says to the genie, I want to be... Uh, I want I want there to be whole fields full of just me. Yeah. I want to be useful. I want to be loved and useful. Okay. And the genie rubs his hands. Okay. And then snaps his fingers. And suddenly there are whole factories of these. I say factories. Yeah. Uh, okay. Of these mulberries being chopped down for worm food. <laughs> and the white mulberry goes, no, 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 no. Not like this. Not like this. I see. Yes. It's it's a little bit. Yeah. What what you call that? The, a monkey paw? Monkey's paw. Monkey's yeah. paw. Is that like a term for like a, almost a backhanded good thing or, yes, or something? Yes. Like a classic, like I wish for this thing. And then the monkey's paw goes like this. And then it's like, an uh, oh, it's a, uh, oh. you didn't, you didn't clear. Clarify, so it's like a, ble- a, a curse I, in disguise. Yes, I see exactly <clears throat> what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, I think it is, and that's why this, like, uh, the story of Silk, which is so fascinating. Like, we we barely touched the surface of the history of this because we were like, no, we're not going to talk about the Silk Road forever. Yeah, there's a lot to say. There's a lot to say, and it's just such an interesting part of like a cultural exchange that happened over so long all based around the secrecy and then the movement thereafter the secret was up right of this one tree and this then like essentially obligatory species of of moth that then grows off of it which i also recommend everyone look up the a picture of the silk moth silk worm moth which i also you know what another problem alex <laughs> okay silk worm moth yeah it's the moth of the silkworm it, I feel a little bit bad about it. It's like it's like essentially saying you are the uh, the silk boy man. Like the the uh, the adult name is named after its child form. Like it should be called the silk moth worm or the silk moth larva. Yes, not the silk, silk, silk worm. Caterpillar. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Anyway, that's it's because just... it's more we we, uh, we humans named it, and to yeah. us, it's more important in its larval stage. Yeah. That's, you're exactly right. Anyway, sorry, back to it. No, it's good. The tree has been then like just drug across the world for better or worse yeah. in order to produce this other thing for better or worse. And, uh, you know, I think it's just, it's an enigma of a plant because no one ever, like very few people know about it. It's out there. They're like, you're not going to have a hard time figuring this out, but it's, it's, it's that, that one link in this chain mm-hmm. that for whatever reason is kind of like, bah, whatever. It was all new to me. Yeah. Silk is important. Silk moths are important. The mulberry tree, also important, but it's a troubled tree, I think. Yeah. I think it's troubled. Casey, with that, Mm -hmm. let's get into our review of the white mulberry. I haven't said these words in like two and a half months. (laughs) (laughs) Here's how it works. We'll give some final thoughts on this tree, then give it a rating of zero to ten golden cones of honor. Casey, as our resident expert, mm, we'll begin with you. And I okay. say this with a somber note. I know. I was going to say, I was going to make a comment that um, I'm not sure where you stand. You seem sad. The energy is down. Yeah, and I, I'm, I'm really sorry about that. I 
actually have an interesting opinion of the white mulberry tree. Let's hear it. So initially when I learned the difference between the white mulberry and the red mulberry, I was like, sweet, there's two different trees, whatever. I then learned over time that the white mulberry tree tended to be more invasive, red mulberry tree being the native one to North America. Okay. There, then I decided I dislike this tree. White mulberry trees should go away. They are for no good. We already have our tr- species here. We must keep that uh, as as it is. The native versus non-native in this case, because the non-native is invasive. Right. So I was like, meh, don't really like it that much. As a tree that grows, they kind of they kind of get a weird a weird growth form. Um, you know how some trees we've covered. Everyone is objective, insane. Its growth habit is beautiful. Like, yeah, it grows up. Its branch form, its architecture is just always stunning and perfect. Mulberries, not so. They just mm. don't. They don't grow like that. They have a lot of weird, twisty branches. They can kind of get a weird, like, twist in their upper stems, and then things go off in weird directions. They don't get big and tall and massive. They don't have a really nice uniform canopy all the time. Sounds almost hawthorn esque. Yeah, it is. That's a that's a perfect description. Uh, so that like it, it takes it down a notch for me. But then on the other hand, in a cultural way, these trees are extremely important. Yeah. People have people who do know about them. In uh, the Overstory, for example, um, one of the characters' fathers plants a mulberry tree so that he can start growing these things because it reminds him of home. Right. Mm. So that's that's really nice. This is all really good stuff. Um, the other thing about it is that it is just a part of the matrix. Like it's this un uncared about, forgotten thing. It's um, there strictly to do a job. The Mothrix. So I think for the mulberry tree, um, I'm gonna give it. I'm gonna give it a five point four. Okay. Because honestly, I, I get it. You're under. You're you're underappreciated for your response. Mulberry trees go away. Silk prices shoot up. Sure. Yeah. But. What Here's, would you and I do then? <laughs> I don't know. Our, our outfits will be torn off of us to be sold to millionaires. Yeah. Casey and I are currently wearing silk tuxedos. Yes. I don't, I, we always record in our silk tuxedos. I thought everyone knew that, Alex. Yeah. I didn't even know that it had to be said. Peek behind the silk curtain, if you will. Yeah, thank you. So, uh, yeah, it gets a low score, though, because, you know, as a tree planted everywhere else, sure. mm, go home. Yeah, go, as, go as home. a tree... In the in a world of trees yes. on this tree podcast, yeah, not great, not great. It's okay. not a great tree. I think if you're going to plant it, you should. And if it is like here in Oregon, not invasive and extremely rare, mm-hmm. you're not going to hear this a lot. Even though I gave it a bad rating because I'm trying to take a holistic view of it. Sure, definitely plant it more. Wow, yeah. underplanted. Yeah, there's a lot of different um, uh, contradictorynesses here, which makes our job very hard. I think this episode is full of them. I think this yeah. is this this is a very complicated tale. Not everything is black and white. Exactly. Now, as uh, the professional on the other side here, mm-hmm. what do you think? <laughs> well, thank you. The white mulberry. <laughs> I would like to recite from an old folk folk song, if ah, I could, Casey. Yes, please. Here we go round mm. the mulberry bush. Mm. The mulberry bush. The mulberry bush. <laughs> Here we go round the mulberry bush early in the morning. Wow. This perfectly encapsulates what I think of the white mulberry. <laughs> I think it does. I, honestly, I'm I'm crying over here. That was so beautiful. <laughs> uh, I don't know. God, what a tricky one, huh? 
I'm in the five range. Okay. Um, I have to say, I don't love the way silk is produced. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm no vegan, but even I can look at that and, and say, what the hell? Yeah, there's a lot of uh, um, PETA folks would say, please do not buy or support silk. Yeah. It's not something I... Th- I, I honestly thought that... Um, natural silk production maybe uh, was like a thing of the past it oh, feels very archaic to me yeah um and i thought maybe oh maybe we should have synthetic silks because i'm sure we also have synthetic silks uh yes but they i think we would just call them synthetics like right. it would be like nylon kind of thing. oh sure okay well yeah i i don't know i'm not a, i'm not in love with this tree mm. i i feel i feel I feel bad for the moths. That's my kind of stance here. Yeah. And for the tree, I don't know. It's not complicit, but it is It is certainly a part of this whole this whole game. Yeah, the complicitness is kind of a weird one. It's almost forced complac- or complacency. Yeah. It's not especially attractive. Uh-huh. I, I like what it does in medicine. That's cool. Yep, I like but its leaves. It's a couple good. points. Yeah. I'll land about a six. Okay. All right. Yeah, yeah. I'm not crazy about it. That's fair. That's fair. Now, in your professional opinion, should we plant more or fewer of them? I think we should uh, plant more of them uh, where they aren't invasive. Mm. I've gotten in trouble for this before. Ah, yeah. Uh, we aren't supposed to plant invasive things <laughs> where they are invasive. I feel like you, you have the appearance right now of someone who just got a ticket. <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. I'm not, I'm not even going to tell you to do that, okay? You always put your seatbelt on. Uh, take it from me. <laughs> don't repeat me. my mistakes yeah. um well with that yeah that was our review of the white mulberry a somber uh, note Alex. a somber note we had yeah. a tragic tale last week as well mm-hmm. uh what was it uh oh that was uh the colonial destruction of um yes the southern uh, live oak the southern live oak yeah um not great two weeks in a row this is just reflecting <laughs> this is a reflection of the times casey i got great news alex mm. the next tree we're gonna do is gonna be a lot of fun well, that sounds great, Casey. Casey, it's time for our completely arbitrary Q and A. This week, our question is from Preston Helms. All right, Preston, what do we got? Preston writes, uh, hey, Casey and Alex. Hello, Preston. My name's Preston, and I just finished the episode on the American Elm. I'm currently working my way up to date with the rest of the podcast. Nice. While listening to the new outcoming episodes. Um, it's double duty. Hey, here's a fun fact about Preston. Mm-hmm. His last name is Helms. Uh, Preston says, something I thought you'd find awesome is that my last name literally means dweller at the elm trees. Whoa. Particularly the European elm. There you go. How about that? I didn't know that. I'm not sure if you've already covered this, but I was hoping to ask if you could explain the reason for many upper canopy trees defining an airspace margin called crown shyness. Ah, yes. Um, Casey. Mm Mm-hmm. You... Talked about crown shyness on your legendary appearance. Get out of here. On the podcast Ologies with Allie Ward. Wonderful, wonderful podcast. Highly recommend it. Yes, it's a great one. Especially the Dendrology episodes. Those are fan favorites. Yeah, Yeah, honestly, I've listened to them hundreds of times. I think they're so good. (laughs) If you spend any appreciable amount of time on Facebook, you will see even this picture of the crown shyness with the caption, even trees love their personal space, you know. (laughs) So there are memes about crown shyness. What it essentially looks like is uh, uh, sort of uh, lim- the upper limbs and branches of a tree. Mm-hmm. 
uh, that have kind of cut out a little canal between one another and they're not touching. Yes, and, but like from specific trees, like this tree won't be touching those trees. Those trees aren't touching those trees. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Casey, let's pull back the silk curtain one last Ooh, time. We're going to need to do it. What is, quote, crown shyness? This is a lovely phenomenon. So it it really is hard to see. Like you have to find the perfect example of it. Mm. Um, and obviously, I know this exact picture that you're talking about. Yes. Um, essentially, what crown shyness is is it's the term for this phenomenon where the trees don't touch each other. So everyone's like, well, why aren't these trees doing it? And they the theory that you know a lot of people have come up with is that the trees don't want to compete with each other, so they stop right up next to each other, and they don't go any further. Which doesn't make sense, because don't trees very explicitly want to compete with each other? They do, yeah. Like, competition and cooperation, all in kind of the same realm, is is like on a, it's on like a population level, is cooperation. On an individual versus individual Mm. level, a lot of times that becomes competition. Yeah especially for uh, resources, where sometimes it's competition uh, for uh, underground resources, but other times it's for that big one that comes from the sky, the sunlight. I've heard of this. Yeah, it's a very common thing that a lot of people don't even really know about, but it's there. If you look at my skin, you might not know that I have familiarity with sunlight. (laughs) No one knows that. (laughs) So as it happens, um, crown shyness is this like the name for this phenomenon. Yeah. And so a lot of people think that it's it's altruism from the trees, it is not. Wrong. It is actually the exact opposite. Most of the time, it's nothing more exciting or grandiose than the trees bashing into each other right. in the wind. And then even if it's like a couple leaves or some some sticks and some twigs, they will break off the little smallest bits when they smash into each other. And then when they come back after the wind has stopped, there's a little gap in between them because one thing that used to be there is now broken off. There you have it. Yeah. Most of the time, the trees will compete. They want to like grow over the top of the other. So they will actually be one on top of the other. And then you can't really see there's a crown shyness because there's really not. It's just like it grows up and they're overlapping. So your perspective doesn't really show it very well. Yeah. 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 I, I think, I think also some of those crown shyness photos are like, photoshopped oh yeah i bet you you're right i I, I think they probably start looking like that but the mm -hmm. whoever wants to share it is like it's not quite clear enough so they they make it like (laughs) this doesn't fit my metaphor quite as nicely as i wanted to so let me change it exactly yeah so that's usually i will say there is a few cases like in the tropics where Mm. certain insects will actually eat the the plants and like kill plants around their there's like specified tree their plant wow yeah and so that will create it could create the same <laughs> kind of idea it is literally well, it's more arbor wars more than anything ah. uh but yeah it is a it's a specific kind of thing but that is like not what everyone's talking about right but i'm sure there's always going to be someone who's like well but there is this one example there very well may be but yes. it's probably not the trees themselves there's some other organism in there doing that dirty deed how about that thank you so much preston for for your question it was extremely hard to say thank you so much preston for your question if you have a question about trees email us at arbitrarypod at gmail.com that's a-r-b-o-r-t-r-a-r-y pod at gmail.com if you'd like to support this podcast join our patreon kc won't you patreon.com slash arbitrarypod you can join the $5 Arboretum, 
and get two bonus episodes a month or the $10 Cone of the Month Club and get a unique die-cut cone sticker sent to you every month in the mail. It's illustrated by an independent artist. It's printed at a cool small business in Portland. You're supporting like four different independent artists when you join the Cone of the Month Club. Mm-hmm. It's a really cool thing. Well, Alex, I think uh, I know just by the other day mm-hmm. where a, I believe a red mulberry is planted. I just saw it two days ago. Where is this son of a bitch? It's a, hey, hey, hey. It's a red one. I'm pretty sure not a white. It could be masquerading. It, it could be. The leaves had not quite come out, so I couldn't, mm. I couldn't really test it. But I'm telling you this because I want to pick the berries. I'll bring them to you, and we will eat them. Okay. I just wanted to share that. This might be something to redeem the mulberry a little bit. Sure. If we can get their, their good-tasting, delicious fruit. You never have to talk me into eating food, Casey. Okay. All right. I just don't want this episode to end so sad. <laughs> I feel sad right now. I it is. sure that we're having a good time. No, yes. You and I are having a good time. Something to look forward to. It's a bit of a sad tale, but you know what? These tales need to be told. Sometimes they do. Thanks for listening to this episode of Completely Arbitrary. We'll see you next time. Goodbye. Completely Arbitrary is produced by Alex Croson and Casey Clapp. Our artwork is by Jillian Barthold, and our music is by Aves and the Mini Vandals. And you can support the podcast at patreon.com slash arbitrarypod. And find additional readings at completelyarbitrary.com. Thanks for listening. 